This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is game week. That means this is the Game Plan podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. With the game plan comes Greg Barnes and usually Jason Staples, but Jason Staples is not with us tonight. So I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's the guest and expert, Greg Barnes, and it'll be us tonight. Jason joins us up. Um, He'll have to slide in on the low late, but I think we can handle this one. Greg, it's Duke week. Carolina lost significant capital last week down in Atlanta. Mac Brown and his staff has taken significant heat from the fan base, especially those that are as hardcore as the inside Carolina fan base. Uh, and here we are midweek looking ahead to Duke. Uh, we're going to discuss what Carolina needs to accomplish in this ball game in Keenan stadium at noon, high noon, first noon game. Since I can remember in Keenan stadium, which is an interesting development under Mac Brown, but Greg, let's go ahead and get into it. This week, earlier in the week, Mac Brown talked about needing to find an identity. We talked about it very briefly on, on the Beat Live, but I think this is a significant question and a significant issue for this team because I think every team needs to have one. What is Carolina's? Because if you know it, I've yet to see it, and I don't think anybody else on the outside has either. Yeah, I don't think that anybody knows. And it's one of the reasons Mac Brown has kind of expressed frustration. Uh, I think defensively, he thought coming into the year, they were going to do a better job stopping the run, which they have done outside of what happened in Atlanta. And they were also going to be able to get some pressure on the quarterback, especially on obvious passing downs. That has not happened. Um, and so they need to get back to being able to stop the run. And as Jay Bateman told us earlier this week, really the idea is, if you can get teams behind the chains early, uh, from his mindset, that gives you more opportunities to really get after the quarterback, create turnovers, get sacks, tackles for loss, all those kind of things. Um, so that's an, an important component of it. Offensively, uh, I found it very interesting that Mac said, we don't have an offensive identity uh, after we've had one the past two years. So I immediately go and ask Phil Longo, what is your identity? And he says, well, the identity typically has been to take what the defense gives us. And for, for North Carolina fans who have been around for the past decade, uh, I think a lot of people got sick and tired of hearing Larry Fedora use those comments. That's kind of the modern era of spread football, though, uh, with all these RPOs and, and zone reads. Uh, you're, you're trying to pick what works best. You know, if you've got three guys on the defensive line and you've got some space in the box, you want to run the ball. Um, if they're stacking the line, you want to be able to throw the ball down the field. And the problem is, is that North Carolina has, has really struggled to capitalize on some of those opportunities. So then it kind of gets them behind the chains. And then it's really a matter of, 
well, you don't have much choice. You've got to either throw the ball or you've got to force it running. So I think for both offense and defense, they've got to do better in the early down situations. And if they can do that, that's how you go about establishing an identity because I think you're exactly right, Tommy. At this point in time, uh, they're, they're struggling to, to figure out exactly what they're about. Yeah, and I thought going into the season, of course, we, we were way over optimistic uh, when we were talking about it. But I thought when Virginia game came, we'd find out what this, this team was like. And we're not any closer than we were in August, uh, I believe. And, and that, that, to me, is a problem. Mac Brown's expressed frustration. Greg, I mentioned it off air. We'll go here just a little bit. I think Mac has, is frustrated simply because there's only so much time in Mac Brown 2.0 for them to accomplish what he has on the plate and, and what the fan base thinks. And, and now here we are, two and two. Carolina has lost two away games, one, two at home. Of course, the next three are at home, so that bodes well. Do you think Mac's frustration, if there's any of it, you think it's borne out in that regard? Is it, like this is a process he wanted to speed up. He talked a lot about being ahead of schedule. And then we get to this point in the season in year three, and I'm not – program-wise, yes, they're ahead of schedule. The product on the field, I don't know is – I don't know if that fits that bill yet. Yeah, and I'd be fascinated to know if Mac agrees with what we talked about in the offseason was, you know, which was, yes, you've got a difficult game to open the season at Virginia Tech. But even when you lose that game – it doesn't completely kill your season by any stretch. I mean, you could still go seven and one and coastal and win and get to the ACC championship game. Um, but given what the teams looked like in the first half of the schedule, it really is kind of a situation where you want to use those opportunities to get better, uh, to let those skill position players understand what it's like to play alongside Sam Howe, for him to be able to trust them on defense for a lot of those young guys are really kind of step up. Uh, and show that, hey, you know, we finally have some experience. We can start being productive. And then by the time Miami comes to Keenan Stadium on October 16th, now you're operating at a pretty efficient clip on both sides of the ball. That's when things pick up. You've got Miami, Notre Dame, at Pitt, at State, and you're ready to go. Um, but because of what happened in Atlanta on Saturday, now you're really behind the ball a little bit. And I think that's where the frustration is, is, in theory, the Georgia Tech, Duke, Florida State stretch is where you should really have opportunities to get a lot better as a team. That didn't happen on Saturday. So now you've really kind of screwed yourself. Um, same applies. Duke and Florida State are opportunities to get better. But now you have to have those games no matter what, and you have no margin of error. And so I, I think that's probably where some of that frustration is. And I would love to know if he kind of had that same idea in his head uh, before the season started. Jason Staples has joined us. Uh, you know, you're, we're finding people um, $500 a minute. So you owe me about, by my poor math, about 10 grand. So I'll take a check. Uh, yeah, so what, happen, what happens when the watch uh, is, is uh, <laughs> dead and on the charger and you go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's what time? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how much we rely on keeping these little things and their batteries in shape jason my question to greg there was the identity issue and also mac brown's frustration that was pretty evident earlier in the week and i sort of framed it in the sense that 
Mac is in year three of Mac 2.0. He's been around a long, long time. And this ahead of schedule business has been talked about a lot. And my thought was he's getting more and more frustrated with what he's got is because the window is not as big and wide as it has always been. And, and so let me ask your, you this version of that question. The program is on an upward trajectory, yes. But that trajectory can come to a crashing halt if you do not win games because you can sell hope. You can't sell a bunch of losses. And Mac Brown is the king of selling hope. So my question to you is, how does that apply to this lead up to this Duke game and going forward in this, in this season in that it's time to sell reality for Mac Brown? And he is extremely frustrated that that has not borne fruit yet, at least in 2021. I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's uh, your last qualification is the important part. It hasn't yet in 2021. I mean, we've, we've already seen progressively more wins each time, each year that he's been in, in Chapel Hill. What you don't ever want to see happen as you're building is to take a step back, right? You don't want to go from six wins to eight wins to six wins, right? That's, that's when, you know, it gets a little harder to sell the direction. If you go, you know, what you want is, six wins to eight wins to 12 wins, right? That sort of thing is, is what you really want. But if you do six wins to eight wins to nine wins, you can still sell progress. Even eight wins to eight wins, you can still sell. Look, we're still building. The foundation is finally in place. We're getting there. But yeah, it's the, I think part of the frustration is when, if you're Mac, you're looking at the fact that you have a guy that at least statistically speaking and, and probably just overall is the best quarterback in school history. And you don't want that guy to leave before you've actually won anything with the guy, <laughs> right? You don't want that to be the situation. You don't want Sam, you don't want to be in a situation where like, okay, we finally have all the pieces we need to be a championship team. And then Sam Howell's gone and we have to restart. And we're not sure we're going to have that level of play from the next guy. That is part of the frustration here. I'm sure is that, you know, you look at it and you're like, you're trying to line it up so that your potentially generational quarterback is lined up with every, with all the other pieces. And the unfortunate thing is if you took the pieces from last year's offense that were lost, if you put Javante Williams, Michael Carter, and just Deami Brown on this team, this team's undefeated right now, probably ranked in the top five and is competing for, is, is probably the most likely candidate for a, for a playoff berth from the ACC. Because defensively, they've made enough strides on what they were last year that by the end of the year, they're going to be pretty good defensively. But the problem is that the defense wasn't good enough last year too young, not enough talent this year. They're still really young and really a year behind where, you know, where they would need to be. Idea, you know, the defense is going to basically be probably at its strongest next year and the year following, but then that's when you don't have Al. <laughs> and that's when you don't have Carter and Williams and the Brown. And so getting all the pieces to actually line up is the hard part. And then when it, when you know, when you see that not lining up, that's really frustrating. 
Because again, you, like you said, over time, you, ha- you eventually have to not just sell vision and hope, but you have to sell results. And, you know, loss to Georgia Tech, I mean, you, loss of Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech, those are not two losses that you really, that, that really sell themselves well right now. Uh, you've got you've to be able to beat teams that, that you recruit against and, and also beat teams that have a pulse. And I think it also doesn't help that the team down the street just happened to be the first team to break through against Clemson in a while in the conference. So yeah, there's reason for, for frustration, even though I think, again, the team, the, the foundation has been, been very clearly getting better. Let's look, uh, look to, okay. The season is what it is. Now you got Duke coming in, Greg, you talked about Duke and Florida state being opportunities to get better. Let's look at what Duke has that can, scare Carolina because I you know they lost to Charlotte but they're three and one they haven't really beaten anybody um, but they have what that scares people that watch Carolina football they have a quarterback that can move his feet speak to what Duke brings to the table offensively um, because I do believe and we talked about it off air the running back Mateo Durant is a stud he'd start for Carolina right now without yep. question uh what else do they bring offensively that can that can bother this Carolina defense? Well, like you said, I mean, Gunnar Holmberg has, has been pretty effective, you know, and, and Duke hasn't played the, the strongest of schedules for sure, uh, but he's looked pretty good. And he had a really bad pass against Kansas that they should have returned for a pick six, but he was able to run down the, the cornerback. Uh, but he's completing 72% of his passes. He's thrown for over 1,100 yards. So he's been effective through the air. Um, but Duke, you know, Cutcliffe does all those kind of funky formations, not too dissimilar from what Virginia likes to do. Uh, and they've used him a lot running the ball. I mean, he, let's see, he's 160 yards on the, on the year, six touchdowns running out of the quarterback position. They, they do a lot of the zone read stuff very effectively. And you can do that when you've got a guy like uh, Mateo Durant because he's, he's good speed. He's a tough kid. Uh, it just has great vision. He, some of the runs that he's had this year have just been really impressive. Uh, good cuts, all those kind of things. They've also got Jordan Waters, who's the backup running back. He's also pretty solid. So the, the running game is kind of where it's at for Duke. They've returning four of their five offensive linemen from a year ago. Uh, so that's going to be the test. And I think that's really the opportunity for North Carolina. We talk about getting better. We know they've struggled against running quarterbacks. A lot of teams do. But how good is this run defense? Because they looked pretty good the first three weeks of the season. And then last week kind of got exposed a little bit. Um, so here's a pretty good running team. Can you shut them down? Can you contain them? Because clearly uh, you want Holmberg to, to test you through the air. If, if Duke wins this game, it's because he had a big game passing. That's what you want with what they've got uh, in, in the ground game. And so uh, it's, it's another opportunity for, for Bateman to kind of mix some things up and really be stout up front, which is what they did effectively, especially against Virginia Tech, but also against Virginia, even though Bronco didn't have a whole lot of interest in running that game. Jason, Duke, Duke's identity, running the football with Durant and Holmberg supplementing that, and, in, and like Greg mentioned, Waters. But where's Carolina's identity on defense? We haven't – we talked about it on offense. They haven't shown an identity on defense. How does that change on Saturday? Yeah, I think the identity on defense has to start with the two corners having success and being able to cover single to be able to single cover. Those are the guys that that 
are your bell cows on defense is your secondary basically and not just corners I'd, I'd add Conley to that in terms of you know your your strength needs to be your corners and the two safeties overall uh being able to free up the the front seven to stop the run and to be able to focus to be to be able to do heavy heavy sets and to be able to stop the run and force teams to try to beat you down the field against single coverage that's what they are now part of the problem right now is that they've gotten some of the, they've lost some matchups in the secondary that a couple of them have not been as, as fortunate as they as as you'd like to see i mean you're going to lose matchups out there periodically even if you're really good couple times there's been some technique breakdowns there's been some other things but they've had a hard time establishing the identity that they that they want to be because of an overall lack of of consistency and execution from especially from some of the younger guys on the on the field and so um you know that's and and they're a mix right now of Older guys who aren't as talented and younger guys who aren't experienced and are making mistakes. That's basically what they are. And so, and that's a hard mix because, you know, you can, you can lean in and go full youth movement and then you're going to have more busts. Or you can, you know, try to do this mix and you're still going to get enough busts to be really frustrating, but maybe not enough dominance to make up for it at times because you're still, you're, you're still working with, you know, some of the experienced guys that you're trying to rely on not to give those busts. So that's where they're at defensively. I think the, like I said, the identity is a really strong secondary that forces teams to run into the teeth of a loaded front. That's what they're trying to be. You bring up the youth movement, and I felt like I wanted to talk about that more earlier in the week, and we didn't. Greg, where's the balance? Where's the balance from let's play the young guys? They're going to screw up, but we can live with it versus – don't play the young guys because they're going to screw up too much. Is it strictly on the scoreboard in the end? Is, is that where you base that? Or is there something else they're looking for? I fully believe that you can throw a young guy to the fire and ruin them. We yeah, saw that. Sure. We, we, we've seen that in, in the past. And uh, I saw that with a podcast I recorded earlier today with a, with a former guy that did that if, on a few occasions. <laughs> a while back <laughs> so there's that balance but and that podcast will be released on friday folks but where's the balance greg i feel like in the nfl it may be like an annual thing these days where a, a rookie quarterback's thrown into the fire and just his confidence is so shattered that you never hear from him again or he's like a perennial backup from there forward uh, it seems like we, we've seen that so often. And that's really what it is, Tom. It's, it's a matter of you want to put these young guys in a position where they can have success. And so you you put them in on certain packages that they can understand and that they thrive in. And, you know, if a kid comes in and he's really good kind of getting after the passer, but he hasn't quite figured out some of the other assignments with regard to run defense or if maybe you need him to drop in the coverage, you don't want to put him on the field if he's not comfortable with those things quite yet. And as Jason said, you know, if you put kids in situations like that, yeah, they may have talent to make a splash play, but more likely than not, they're going to be busts and miss assignments and miss tackles and all those kind of things. And that hurts the team, but it also hurts the kid because he's not seeing that success. And so it really is a fine line of, 
you want to see them have success in practice. You want that to carry over to game opportunities. Um, and then you gradually build it. You give them a little more each week, each game, and you test them and say, okay, well, this kid, by now, he's playing a lot better. Jari Ritzy, I think, is a great example. He went in and had some good snaps against Virginia Tech. And each week, they've given him more and more. And so I think you're going to see his snaps increase dramatically over the next couple of weeks. Um, but if you were to throw him in and say, all right, you're going to play in Blacksburg and you're going to play 60 reps, that would not have gone well for the kid. And it would not have gone well for North Carolina. So it's just that balancing act. And that's one of the tough things about the coaching component is you've got to figure out how much can you push a kid? How much can you lean on a young kid without really messing them up and without hurting the team? 100% agree. And one of the things that, I mean, I've heard a lot of coaches say this, uh, the, but the, the quote that I always remember is actually from Jimbo Fisher I, it, when he, uh, he and I were talking some about this. And he used to say uh, uh, that it's a lot easier to ruin a guy, to ruin a kid by playing him early than it is to develop him. More often than not, when you play, when you play a kid too early, you, you end up ruining the guy for a number of reasons. So, I mean, one of them is that a lot, a lot of reps is taxing on the body. And, you know, there are only so many 18, 19 year old bodies that are really ready to play at the level of physicality of big boy FBS power five football. It is a different game. You are not playing that game in high school. <laughs> it is just not the same. And, you know, especially the closer to the, to the ball you line up, the more you're on the line of scrimmage, the more your body takes a beating and the more reps you get, the more that's going to impact you. And I actually have a theory on, on this in terms of, um, of offensive linemen that, that if you, if you did a study and at some point I'm going to do this study, if you did a study on offensive, uh, offensive line prospects, let's say four and five star recruits that played in year one, played starter level minutes in year one. My guess is that there are more busts out of that group than there are in the group that did not play starter level minutes in year one. And the reason is I would venture to say that probably half of the, of those that start that first year end up getting hurt. And then you end up losing a an off season of development and strength training. And then you go back in there the next year and you get dinged up again. And so, and I've seen this happen so many times that just anecdotally you go, yeah, you know what, if I'm, if I had a really good offensive line prospect and I wanted to shop him around somewhere to, you know, to go play, I'd want him to go somewhere that he wouldn't play for his first three years because that's his best shot of developing into the, into a player. Because then when he is playing, he's ready for those reps mentally and physically. And, you know, you get even a guy like Ra Ra Dilworth, who's definitely fast enough to make a difference on the field if he knows where he's supposed to go. But first of all, he's got to know exactly where he's supposed to go with no false steps or his speed is neutralized. And second of all, how much would you say he actually weighs, Greg? 210, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, 210. And he's going to have to take on 305-pound grown men in the hole as a, as an inside linebacker, that's a hundred pound difference. That that's non-negligible. And you do that 10, 15 times in a game. And that, you know, what's that going to do to your shoulders before you've built up 
a little bit more muscle armor to be able to handle that. So this is what a lot of people just don't appreciate is it's not Madden. It's not NCAA football where you just stick out the, 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 the guy with higher numbers and that guy can play. You stick that guy out. And if he's not completely ready, he gets hurt. I mean, I've got a, a, an example from my own embarrassing career that I ran the wrong route as a, as a, a, a true freshman in spring uh, is my first real semester uh, on, on the roster I ran the wrong route on, on, on a play and I ended up separating my shoulder as a result. Actually, it was a, a separated AC joint and it impacted me the rest of spring. And it's just because I ran the wrong route. And, I, you know, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not an idiot, at least I don't think. But, you know, your, your head is swimming because you're you're learning so much new stuff. And I was backside on a play. I mean, I know what the route is now. <laughs> I could run it tomorrow. I could run it tonight. But as a true freshman, my head is swimming and I'm going lining up, just trying to remember, okay, that was, uh, you know, that was our slot. Okay. So then that that makes, that means I'm lining up on the, on the left side. I've got to line up, you know, this many yards outside the, the hash. All right. I'm on the line. All right. So, and then you go, okay. So then that's demon. That was the play call. All right. So pass 44 demon. All right. So I remember that that's called this because you have a, broken arrow on the inside and a deep post on the outside. And then you're going, Oh, but what do I have? And all I could remember is the outside had a post. So I ran a post and I ran right into the coverage and actually got hurt. And I played the rest of spring that way. And it's a good example of, you know, it's like third practice or fourth practice. And you know, you, you, when you don't know exactly what you're doing, you put yourself in those, in those situations. And you know, this is, this is kind of where they're at. They have, you have to be evaluating your young guys all the time to say, okay, has he taken that step to where he knows he's, he knows it well enough not to hurt himself and not to hurt us. And then secondly, does he know it well enough? And is he getting to the place where he's going to have enough success? Like you said, Greg, to actually be able to benefit from playing. And if not, then he can't play. And these are the guys that see them every day in practice and they're that are right there. It, it is a fascinating. And they want them to play. Yeah, without question. <laughs> they want the most talented guys <laughs> on the field. I can promise you that. And, and that's a, that's an interesting discussion between you guys. And that's why I posed the question because I knew it would be answered that way. It's that it's not as simple as just throwing these guys to the fire. You can't do it on this level or you were ruining kids. And then you're going to have kids and parents that say, well, they ruined my kid. And why would you send your child there? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a little bit more complex than just throwing the, the shiny new nickels on the field. I'd well, love in the to video that I'm posting to that's posting uh, the same day that this will be coming out. So today, I guess. Um, I'm going through the three, you know, Jay Bateman mentioned there were three big plays in the running game. He's like, you know, we, we basically had success against the running game, but you know, they had close to 150 yards on three plays. Well, I broke down the three plays. <laughs> and as it turns out, you had a bust by a young player on each of the three plays that opened a gap. That was it. And you had a sophomore, a uh, red shirt sophomore. And I think another, uh, Gray's a sophomore too, right? So, yeah. yeah. So you had a sophomore, a redshirt sophomore, and a sophomore, none of whom have started before this year, that all busted 
on those three plays, those three busts cost them like 120 yards. Yep. And three touchdowns. Worth the price of admission to Inside Carolina premium subscription, which leads me to the Johnny T-shirt read mm. that we always do at this point. Johnny T-shirt gets you 10% off that order at Johnny T-shirt. If you're a premium subscriber and you get to hear Jason break down film. Look, I love Inside Carolina. I love reading the stuff. The film breakdowns are the most knowledgeable things that I get from it, simply because you think you know football. You don't know football until you watch these video breakdowns. I mean, if Greg Barnes is talking about how he learned something from Jason Staples' breakdown, you know that the regular people like me and you will learn it. Johnny T-shirt, they look after the podcast. They look after Inside Carolina. They look after our subscribers. Please support them. Take a chance on them. I promise you, you won't regret it. Great customer service and the discount. You can't beat it. Rate us, review us, subscribe on Inside Carolina's YouTube channel and also on iTunes and all. We're going to let the national guys pay the bills for the audio version. We'll be right back. It's the game plan, Duke version. Searching for an identity. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina. And I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and it eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light, it's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family owned. And it's available once again in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. We're back with the game plan. It's Duke on Saturday at high noon in Kenyon Stadium. Greg Barnes, Jason Staples. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Greg, I was trying to formulate something different because I always, at this point, I always say, Greg, what's Carolina's offense going to do versus Carolina's defense? But I'll frame it a little bit differently. What is Carolina's coaching staff on offense going to do against Duke? What are they going to do differently, if anything, you think, on this game Saturday in Kenyon Stadium because something is broken and appears broken at this point in the season. Phil Longo is bound to be feeling a little heat, if not from internally, then certainly externally from the program. What do you expect to see Saturday? You know, I don't know that I would say that the offense is broken. Um, you know, if, if you watch some of Jason's breakdowns and just listen to the coaching staff and, and talking to people around the program, they're pretty close, but close doesn't cut it at this level. And that's the problem. Um, you've, you've got skill position replay, players not doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. You know, wide receivers still struggling to get some separation. 
running backs not reading plays the right way, like Jason's broken down excellently this week. Offensive line, uh, you know, staff still thinks the injuries has played a big role in kind of how the offensive line has, has struggled a bit, although they haven't been that far off. I really think that the biggest question mark is is Sam Howe and um, you know, is it a is it a I don't want to say it's not a confidence issue. It's maybe a trust issue. Maybe it's a feeling of wanting to trying to do too much, trying to help the team because he feels like he needs to. And that's been problematic. And they've just gotten into some situations where they have not been able to get into a rhythm uh, and things have just kind of snowballed. And so whenever they're able to have success relatively early, like we saw against Georgia Tech and or Georgia State and like we saw against Virginia, they look good. And there's, there's options there. Um, but when things kind of snowball from the get-go, it's problematic. And so you, are there going to be some tweaks? Possibly. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Mac Brown kind of laid out some things where he wanted to make sure that, that Longo was, was making sure certain players weren't being picked on. You know, if the centers are, are banged up, help them out a little bit. You know, if they're having trouble blocking a certain guy, you try to slide the tight end over or use a running back to chip him or something like that. Those are all kind of minor details though. Um, but I really think it's just a matter of trying to get Sam into a rhythm. Uh, and, and Phil mentioned you know, quick hitters. If you've got a quarterback, hold on to the ball too long and you want him to throw it, you just set up some of those quick hitters, get the ball out of his hands very quickly. So he's not thinking about anything too, too much. And if you can get him into a rhythm that opens everything else up, um, I don't see any whole scale schematic changes at all. And uh, curious to see Jason's take on that. But when you look at what Duke has done defensively, they've really struggled even against a weak schedule. And so I think, I think there's plenty of opportunity here for North Carolina to be able to feel good about themselves offensively uh, through the afternoon. Jason, I'll let you riff and go on that one. Here, here's something that is interesting to me. People, I was watching your breakdown and some of the responses were, I'm like, can't they tell the running back to go that way? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I even thought it when Howell missed uh, Green twice on the post is like somebody's got to holler him and tell it. But it doesn't quite work that way, Jason. It reminds me of the scene in Top Gun where they're talking about how they got <laughs> messed up at the end. I think it was Wolfman. He says, which way to go? And he goes, where'd who, way to who go? go? <laughs> Where'd he go? Where'd who go? I knew exactly where you're yeah. going on that. We are the same generation, man. I feel the need. The need for speed. Are Woo! we going to watch um, the new one, by the way? The new Top Gun? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, think I so. plan on it. Yep. That's yeah, Val Kilmer's coming back. Val Kilmer's in it. So. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if Iceman's in it, I'm, I'm there. So, um, so yeah, that uh, – uh, I, I agree with, with Greg. I don't expect to see any scheme changes. I do expect the biggest change I expect to see is that they'll, they'll call the touchdown play more often. <laughs> go long because, and score touchdown. <laughs> Press X. Well, go long, just, you know, get it to this guy and, you know, let him score. And people are going to go, oh, wow, why didn't they call that against Georgia Tech? And you're going to go, they did call it against Georgia Tech. And it didn't work the same way because Georgia Tech's better on defense. than 
I mean, so much of the, um, so much of the, the problems that you're seeing on offense right now are the result of, uh, of basically being matched up in situations where guys have not played against the against those that level of defense or that look or whatever together to be able to make it all fit to execute exactly right in that look in that in that situation you think about like the difference between Virginia Tech and Virginia the offense looked night and day and you know what the primary difference was Virginia's defense isn't good. Like, they're very not good. <laughs> so I think it's going to be the same thing in, in this situation with Duke. I mean, you're, you're going to run, they're going to run their offense, and they'll probably have more success because Duke is not as good defensively as Georgia Tech. They just don't have the same players. And You'll get people that'll feel like changes were made. And guess what? No changes. I mean, you remember actually in the, in the preview podcast last week, Tommy, you'll remember this. You asked about what, uh, what had, what had been shown at the running back position, what specifically Chandler had shown in terms of improvement against Virginia, like how much he had, you know, how much different he had shown. And what was my response? What was my answer to that? None. It's like, I didn't really see anything different. Only thing that I saw was that Virginia didn't offer a modicum of resistance around the line of scrimmage that forced him to do what he doesn't do well, which is read the, read the line of scrimmage in a way that, uni that unites his feet patiently with his eyes to, to force him to cut without losing speed in the backfield before he gets to the second level. Once he gets to the second level, he's a different back, but that, first part is been has been the issue going back to Tennessee and guess what showed up again against a better defense against Georgia tech. That's exactly the thing that showed up is running right into the back of the offensive line. When all you had to do was just be slightly patient way to beat and peel it. And you've got a 15 yard run or with it, well, as gifted as you are into the, in the second level, you might score. And it's just as simple as that. And again, I don't think Duke is, what Georgia tech or Virginia tech are on, on defense. So I think, you know, they'll call the touchdown play more often. So they could have a ton of success, but not answer the questions. Yeah. I um, think that, I think if they have a bunch of success against Duke, it will answer zero questions as far as where they are as an offense in terms of growth. And this is what makes it hard to assess things, especially as a fan, but it's even hard as a staff when you're assessing where things are, because you can go in and blow a team out and feel like we finally turned the corner execution wise on this or that. But it really is just a matter, a matter of like, well, we played a team that was basically a JV level team instead of a varsity level team. And yeah, we looked really good because they didn't offer resistance to this stuff that causes us to have execution problems. I've been on in that situation. Like, Oh, we finally got this done. And then the next week you find out no, we really did not get that fixed. <laughs> and so you have to evaluate process and not results you have to look to see whether or not certain things are being executed better rather than they're just getting better results so what i'm going to be looking for is are we going to see situations from chandler for example where he does have to read the line of scrimmage and he does hit that cutback 
If I see him do that and hit that cutback multiple times, then I'm going to go, oh, he might be growing. But if I see him take that same play, and this time the A-gap is just there because the team he's going against can't close it, and he just hits that A-gap and goes for 40 yards, I'm going, he's still the same back. Nothing's changed execution-wise. So you have to evaluate process, which means you need to, be, you need to know what you're looking at in order to do it. And my guess is we're not going to see a whole lot of answers there. That's an interesting take. Very, very enlightening take there. Greg, let's flip the ball, flip the uh, field. Carolina's defense, same thing in this situation, though I think uh, stopping Mateo Durant would be some sort of accomplishment for this defense. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think what Duke brings to the, the table is completely different on one side of the ball versus the other. Uh, I, I agree with, with Jason wholeheartedly there, and I really think it's going to be the Miami game before we, we know a lot about this uh, North Carolina offense. Maybe maybe Jason has Florida State ready to go by, by next week. Um, but I think I think for, for North Carolina defensively, it's 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 a challenge. I mean I, Duke they they've been a, a solid running team. Uh, they've got a pretty good offensive line. They got a great back. The the quarterback, I think you he has the proclivity to make some mistakes, but he can run. I mean, he's he's quick. Uh, and so yeah, I think that'll be a good test. And I think North Carolina needs to play well defensively to make sure this doesn't turn into a shootout. And I think we can learn a lot about how Jay Bateman's got the the group rallied up a little bit. Uh, I don't think Duke's going to do as much damage through the air, although you still got to watch out. I mean, if you're purposely trying to take away the run, there's going to be some options down the field. So you still have to do a good job there. Uh, but if, if this defense, as, as Jason alluded to earlier, if the idea with this defense, the identity is to really be able to rely on your cornerbacks and to be able to put them on islands and really you know, a number of your defensive backs so that you can do different things up front, this is the kind of game where you have to have that success because at some point it's got to really click for you. I know they look good against Virginia Tech, um, but you need to build confidence. You need to see that success so that when you go to the next week, you can do it again. And then by the time you start playing some of these better teams, the Miamis and Notre Dames and Pittsburghs and States and Wake, uh, you're going to have feel better about yourself. And so, yeah, I, th I think defensively we'll learn a lot. Jason, you agree there? You're nodding your head as you're flying the jet through the mountains. <laughs> and if you're not on YouTube watching, please join us on YouTube and see what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, I agree largely. The, the main thing, that the, the, the thing is it's actually easier to evaluate progress on defense in certain cases because it boils down to do you have the guys actually doing their assignment on every play? And that's really been the problem on defense right now. I mean – yeah, you've had some guys get beat. I mean, on the one long run by by Sims, you know, you had you had two you had two players in one gap that opened the gap, and then you had a one on one in the open field, and and one player just got beat. You know, you just just lost that matchup in the open field. That's going to happen. What you can't have is the two guys in one gap. So what you can evaluate is whether whether you're actually sound on every assignment. You can evaluate, like, are we, is our gap integrity where it should be? Are we where we're supposed to be on coverage? Is the eye discipline there? All of those things are things that mark whether or not you're progressing as a defense. And that's what you should be looking for against Duke. Again, it's, 
as a coaching staff, you don't evaluate results as much as you evaluate process. You evaluate whether you were doing your job. And if you were doing your job and you were doing your job with a high level of effort and good technique and you get beat, then that's still a plus. You just tip your cap. What you want to see is, and, and I think we'll be able to see whether there's progress on this, is our guys actually locked in to doing things the right way with the right technique and the right gap and, and doing their assignments. Are you doing their job? And that's the thing that I think, uh, you know, I'll be looking at, and you can see growth on that on the defensive side. And I, I think Duke will stress them enough with a lot of creative run looks and, you know, using the quarterback's ability to move that you'll be able to see whether there's some progress on some of those things. Let's cut it. Let's cut to it. Greg, what happens? I, I started or really started to cut out the prediction portion of this because we have sucked doing the predictions. At least I have. Um, but no, we're going to, we're going to do our jobs. Have we sucked? I is have. That the, no, I mean, is, is it our problem? Or, <laughs> I, guess, I guess it is, right? What was the, what were the predictions last week? 40s to 20s? Yeah. Just, uh, I had, I had 27, 13, uh, North Carolina. I, 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 I think I was I, a little I, bit higher than that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was worried. I was I had about Georgia. I, I had Georgia Tech winning but i i accidentally say carol greg what do you think happens on saturday you, you know um <laughs> little a little snake bit right that over under on this game is i think 73 which is a lot of points um i just i think it's going to be another game kind of like virginia where duke's going to have some success but they're not going to have enough firepower to keep up with north carolina uh, so I've got Carolina winning this one. Let's say 49-24. Breakout player, either side of the ball, whatever you want to say. Give me a guy that's going to flash. I'll go Emory Simmons. Jason, what you got? Oh, you know, and I feel the same way you do about the predictions at this point because, <laughs> you know, I'm just glad I don't bet based on my own well, prediction. The right. thing is, there have been years where there have been years where I've been really confident that we had a good beat on the team and where it was going to be, and and looking at that, and I would have I would have felt comfortable betting a lot of the games that we picked. We knew the and identity, felt, Jason. Right, and I felt this year we knew more about fedora level teams than we did about <laughs> Mac team. Well, we did, but this team is in so much this team is in so much transition right now, in terms of you know, sort of sputtering to make the leap on a lot of things uh, that it's, I think it's just a much harder team to get your, get wrapped around, uh, get your mind wrapped around and get it, get a good sense of, of projecting. So, I mean, I'm, I, I would not bet this game. Uh, I, I'm not confident in, in my sense of where this game is going to be at all in that regard. I do think that this is a similar, I mean, I, I think similarly to, to Greg here, I think Duke is closer to Virginia than they are to Virginia Tech or Georgia Tech, neither of whom is world beaters either. But, um, but I think that this Duke team has enough weaknesses right where North Carolina kind of needs those weaknesses to be right now, that Carolina should win this game around the, whatever the, the, the spread is the spreads. What, 20, 18? 20, 20. Yeah. I think something like, you know, uh, 45 to 24 is about is about where I'd put this game as far as ex expectation. But again, you know, you have three fumbles from your third year starter at quarterback and a 21 point projected lead goes to basically an even ball game. So, I mean, a lot of that 
gets really easy, easy to explain on some of that stuff. Turnovers change things really quickly. Um, but I would say as long as Carolina is roughly even in the turnover margin, then you're going to basically get, you should get a, you know, two to three score win just because I don't think Duke has the firepower to, to stick with him. And I, I do think the defense is going to be a little, a little bit better uh, because they've gotten their butts chewed out all week for blowing what should have been straightforward assignments and giving up big plays. So I suspect that we're going to see a bit more attention to detail from some young guys on, on some of those things that will result in a, in a, in a better uh, overall performance from the defense and a win. I'm going to save mine for Inside Co-On Live, even though I will say this. I'm choosing between 66 to 13 or 42 to 38. Those are my two choices. Um, I got a feeling it's going to be one of those type Duke Carolina games where it is ridiculously close when it should never have been. And it may be to Jason's point. But anyway, it's been the Game Plan Podcast. It's been Johnny T-Shirt sponsoring us. It's been Greg Barnes, Jason Staples joining us late. He owes us a couple up-downs, some burpees, and some suicides. Um, We'll have to catch those. You said you could run routes. Can you still run suicides? Um, I'll be happy to. In fact, I'll go out and I'll run – how about this? I'll run – Four 300 shuttles and do some other stuff uh, for you here. It's uh, it's 10.05. It's about time to get that in. I'll, 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 I'll record them for you if you want. <laughs> we want to see those on the back end of your film breakdowns uh, to make sure you're meeting, <laughs> meeting the standard of this podcast. Boys, it's always been fun. Thank you all for joining me, and thanks, Johnny T-Shirt, for sponsoring us. Thanks, guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.